hey, one of the things that we are hoping, praying, longing, desiring for this year is that your life will change. That your life will be different at the end of this year. And that that means that the you that is now will be different than the you that is at the end of this calendar. And the difference and the hope of what we pray for that is from an image that your cup might overflow. That God might fill your life with the goodness and the mercy that only he can provide. And that your life will, instead of being a cracked container that can't hold water, that it would be the kind of thing that would be filled to the brim and that would runneth over with the very things of heaven. And that the way that that happens is through the way of Jesus. And so through this year, we're going through all of these different opportunities and options for you to be able to discover month by month an ancient practice, a habit, a rhythm of grace that enables you to have that transformation. And this month, we've been talking about the gift of prayer. And we've talked about who can pray and what prayer is and how to pray. And this week, we tie it all together with the most difficult of what we're talking about with prayer, the idea that your life can become prayer. And it's hard for me to do this well without being a little combative and confrontational with you to say something that I'm going to say that just sounds even like unfaithful or heretical right out of the gate. And that is this, that the goal of prayer is not to pray. Let me say that again. The goal of prayer is not to pray. The way that the Gospel of John describes it in John chapter 15 is this. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now remain, which is a verb that means to dwell, to abide, to inhabit, to stay in my love. The goal of prayer is not to pray. The goal of prayer is to abide in the love of God. It is communication that leads to communion. And so one of the great thinkers and leaders in the spiritual life in the 20th century was a guy by the name of Henry Now, and this is how he puts it. He says it like this, prayer does not mean much when we undertake it only as an attempt to influence God or as a search for a spiritual fallout shelter or as an offering of comfort in stress-filled times. Prayer is the act by which we divest ourselves of all the false belongings and become free to belong to God and to God alone. In other words, if you are still seeing prayer as a way to influence God or to manage your circumstances, if you still see prayer as kind of a spiritual fallout shelter, if you see prayer as the kind of thing that might be a little bit of a healing feeling in the midst that provides you comfort with, with all the stress that is involved in your life, that is not what prayer is. And you won't ever get it right. Prayer is about the stripping away, the divesting of all of your attachments and your belonging to a world that cannot offer you what it is promising you. And prayer is the only thing that can free you to be able to help you to understand that you belong to God and to God alone. The goal of prayer is not to pray. The goal of prayer is to abide in the love of God. If you still see prayer 
as something that you can check a box that you have accomplished or that you did. You haven't understood prayer. The way that the Bible talks about this shift in thinking with regards to prayer in the New Testament, particularly at the pen and the lips of the Apostle Paul, is that the way that Paul describes his prayer life and what he's inviting us into is known as unceasing prayer. Let me share with you some of the examples when he says this. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. I give thanks to my God always for you. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, praying at all times in the Spirit. We have not ceased to pray for you. Be constant in prayer. Pray without ceasing. I don't know if you notice, sometimes he says this descriptively of what's happening, and a lot of the other times, he is actually giving you a command, a decree that you are to obey, that you are to pray in this way. And you might be thinking to yourself, thanks, Apostle Paul. That's great. I like, I'm barely getting by. I already feel guilty that I don't pray enough. And now you tell me that the bar is, is that I'm to be praying all of the time. I don't even pray some of the time. And so you read these passages and what you feel immediately is not inspiration, but guilt. True story. 1982, Billy Graham was invited to be interviewed on the Today Show. And so his people were talking with the producers of their people. And while they were communicating, as it was getting ready for time for Billy Graham to show up at the studio, they said, don't worry, we've set aside a room that'll be quiet, a private space. We know Billy Graham to be a person of prayer, and we have set aside this room for him to be able to quiet and pray before the interview. Billy Graham's people reached back out to NBC and to their people to let them know that that would not be necessary. This kind of confused the producer on the other end of the phone. We thought Billy Graham would want to pray. He said, you don't understand Billy Graham. Billy Graham prayed when he woke up that morning. Billy Graham prayed while he was eating his breakfast. Billy Graham prayed while he was in the car on the way to the interview. Billy Graham will be praying while he is taking the interview in stride. And so, yes, Billy Graham is a person of prayer. Billy Graham doesn't need a room in order to pray. Does your prayer life resemble anything like the pattern and the structure of what I just described for Billy Graham. Because that is a little bit of a taste of what the Apostle Paul is inviting us into. If I had to describe or define it, and all of this is in your overflow in your bulletin, if you haven't grabbed onto the fact that we put some of this information in the bulletin for you, unceasing prayer is to do everything all day with conscious awareness and connection to God. Think about your day for a moment. What does your day entail and contain? And what are the little prompts, the little reminders, the little invitations for you to not just have prayer that's on your to-do list, did it, 9 a.m., check the box, don't have to think about that anymore, to that prayer is one of the ongoing activities of your whole life. When you go to the market, when you go to the store to buy something and you see all of the produce and you see all of the packaging, do you pray and thank God for the people who 
planted those seeds, for the people who harvested that food, for the people who distributed that food to you, for the people who package it and figure out how all of this works in our society. When you were at work, before you have a difficult conversation at work, do you bring that before the Lord in prayer? When you are driving through your neighborhood and you come home and you pass by certain houses, whether you know the people in that house or do not know the people in that house, do you see that as you drive your car, you pray? Listen up, Atlanta. You should be praying more as you drive your car. You should be praying with your eyes open, but you should be praying, not just for your safety. You should be praying for your soul. Because I've seen the way that some of you drive with that little peach tree sticker on the back of your car. All of life is an occasion to pray. Unceasing. All day, conscious awareness and connection of God. And your objection to me might be like, Rich, that's just not realistic. If I understand you correctly, Pastor, you are telling me that I literally ought to be praying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times a day. Yes. You're like, this is not going to happen. What if I told you that there was something that you do hundreds and hundreds of times a day... And you don't think about it, but you do it all the time. This device that you carry in your pocket, turn to the person next to you, how many times on, on average does the average American touch his or her phone in a day? Turn to the person next to you and try to guess. The answer is... 2,617 times. The average American touches their smartphone 2,600 times. Some of you are thinking, no way. Others of you are thinking, that's a little low. <laughs> that's why they call it an average. Do you have to think about that? No. It is built into the rhythm and in the architecture of your life that you reach to connect with that device. Honestly, if it is possible for us to be as frequent with a phone, is it possible for us to be as frequent in our thoughts, our awareness, our approach before Almighty God? I think it is. While I was working on this message, I was like, I think I've overcooked it with Dallas Willard quotes. I'm not going to use any more Dallas Willard quotes for this message. I'll save it for a week. And then I ran into the perfect Dallas Willard quote. <laughs> this is what he says. Constant prayer will only burden us as wings burden the bird in flight. Here is a picture from about 10 years ago of a family vacation when we were up in Alaska where we got to go on a rafting trip to go take pictures and to see bald eagles in the backcountry. This is a picture I took, not on my phone, but it's a picture that I took. Can you imagine this majestic creature looking at its wings and saying, you know what? These things are not all that. They're kind of weighing me down. They're crimping my style. I don't think I need them anymore. They are a 
burden to me. The minute that we feel or think of prayer as a burden is the moment that we realize that we were made to fly in life with God to soar and that prayer constantly is the means by which we are able to do just that. And so my invitation to you as we get towards the end of this month, as you have been hopefully dipping your toes in the water, experimenting, maybe being a little more intentional with like what we talked about last week with the Lord's Prayer and talking about this in a group, my invitation to you to push you is to say that you can live a life that becomes prayer. But in order to do so, I need to push you beyond your tradition and beyond your comfort zone in this way. Unceasing prayer requires two different things, both structure as well as spontaneity. All of you have a personality type that you have been endowed with. Some of you are very structure-oriented people. You like for everything to fit in a box. You like for everything to be on a calendar. You like for everything to be scheduled. You don't like surprises. You like everything to be able to be anticipated. You are the kind of person that likes rhythm and cadence and predictability. And you are the kind of person who does the same routine every single morning. And that influences the way that you live your spiritual life and specifically your prayer life. You might be the kind of person that really likes set prayers or set time of prayers. And that is where you feel alive. Others of you are more free spirits. You're on the other end of that spectrum. You don't like it when there's structure and a schedule and a budget and all of these different things. You like it when things are flexible. You like it when things can change. You like it when things can be a little more dynamic. Change is something that you eat for breakfast. And that reflects your spiritual life, your prayer life. You don't want to be tied down. You don't want to say the same set prayer. You want it to be much more open-ended and conversational and spirit-filled. And you need to know that each of these different personality types are actually streams that also play out in the different traditions that are our faiths. When you take about the Christian faith and the expression of that that I grew up in, I grew up in a very structured environment. We said almost the same prayer every single night as we were getting ready to go to bed. We said the same prayer when we would sit down to eat our food. I went to a worship experience week in and week out, week out where the liturgy was exactly the same except for a different hymn, a different scripture, and a slightly different sermon. Other than that, you could just recite it. You could count on it. You knew not only what was going to happen and the anticipation of it, but you knew exactly what words were going to be in it. And then I got into college, and I encountered more of the charismatic and evangelical wing of spirituality, and things became much more open and dynamic. And you need to understand that this is a false dichotomy. And that God has given us the whole counsel of his expression here on earth. And that we need both structure 
and spontaneity for us to be able to have a life of constant prayer. And so I need to push you that if you find comfort in one area, it's great to have a home base, but you need to grow in the other direction. Because there's a danger in staying just in one side of that aisle or the other. The danger of staying in only structured prayer is that you get to the point where it's empty ritual. The danger of only staying in more spontaneous expressions of spirituality and prayer is that eventually it's just kind of a stream of consciousness that feels like spiritual narcissism. That you're the one that's controlling the conversation as opposed to God and his word. Only when these two tributaries converge into one source will we begin to be able to live our lives. Let me see if I can give you an example, a case study of this with regards to a biblical figure. Now, this is a non-rhetorical question, what I'm about to ask of you, and so I'm going to do a little free association with you. I'm going to say a biblical character's name, and then once I say that name, I want you to say the very first thing that comes to your mind, and I want you to say it out loud. The biblical character's name is Daniel. If I say Daniel, you say? Of course, most people know that. If you've had any semblance of a Christian education as a child, you know about Daniel and the lion den and the felt board and what you had to deal with in order to learn that. However, most people don't know why Daniel ended up in the lion's den to begin with. This is what it says. Anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days except to you, this you being the emperor, the king, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Structure and spontaneity. Daniel did not wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to pray. I feel like praying. He had both the ritual, the timing of multiple times a day in which he was to pray as well as the freedom to be able to bring his thanksgivings before Almighty God. Friends, we, we are living in our own Babylonian empire era. And the level of godlessness and prayerlessness is on the rise. If you doubt me in that, just post to social media on whatever platform you want that you are praying for someone, some concern, something, and watch the attack of what happens in that moment. And if you do not have both the structure and the spontaneity to be able to respond to that moment, prayer life will not survive the digital Babylon that we find ourselves in today. So with the time that I have remaining, what I would like to do is to introduce you to my favorite tool that I learned all the way back in college. This is probably my most favorite pattern of prayer that I've held on to the longest time in my life. I learned this when I was at university, 
And it's based out of 1 Thessalonians 5 when it says this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life in King Jesus. Will you say this verse with me up here? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here is the rubric of the tool that gives you structure for the spontaneity of your prayer life. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. What if you began your day with joy? Joy is a choice. What if before you reached for your phone, you took a moment to pause and to say, rejoice in the Lord always, and Paul knows that we need to hear it twice. He says, so I say it again, rejoice. I have a friend whose personal life has been in shambles for five years. And he says that the only way that he is able to have a day that is not looming with despair is for him to wake up and to consciously pray, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Joy is a commitment. It is an action. It is a decision. I can promise you that if we do not calibrate our day and begin it by putting our roots down into joy, there's no way that joy, particularly the joy of the Lord, survives throughout the course of that particular day. God, I am going to rejoice in the fact that you have given me work to do. God, I rejoice in the fact that you have provided food that is the fuel for me to be able to live my life. God, I rejoice that I don't live in isolation and in loneliness, that you're going to bring people that are going to be a part of my day. When you anticipate, when you think about the day that is to come, do you bring the joy of the Lord as the lens by which you are going to live your life. What if you started your day that way? And then what if in the middle of your day, you oriented it around the needs of the people around you and that are on your consciousness? For me, in the habit loop of prayer, I use lunch and the cue of me getting hungry as a reminder to pray for the kingdom come and the daily bread of other people. I try to use when I'm driving to wherever I'm having a lunch appointment, I try to use that time to be able to pray out loud. People just think I'm on my phone. To pray out loud for people that I know and that God has put on my consciousness and to bring them before God. What could you do in the structure and the spontaneity of the middle of your day to be the kind of thing where it's a catalyst for you to pray and intercede for other people? I love how Oswald Chambers puts it. He puts it like this. God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize, but that we may intercede. We live in a jaded world And God never gives you an insight 
a discovery, an aha, a bit of wisdom, a key perspective on something for you to be able to sit in the judgment seat against or over other people. When God gives you that insight, that kernel of truth, that is meant to be a prompt for the acting and the waiting of what prayer is. You can either use those discernments in order to judge and criticize other people, or you can see those as invitations to pray. And I do believe that God inhabits the praises of his people. That he hears those prayers. And that it moves heaven and earth. What if your morning was about rejoicing the middle of your day was about praying for others. What about your evening could be as your head hits the pillow about giving thanks? This one's hard. Depending on what you're going through, this won't be natural. A couple weeks ago, Kelly and I have what we like to refer to as a fierce conversation. There were multiple different opinions expressed. There were multiple feelings in potential of being hurt. There was multiple misunderstandings. And because you were at this service, I want you to know I was wrong in every single one of those things. <laughs> We didn't get to reconciliation and resolution by the time my head hit the pillow. And I'm looking at the ceiling in what I feel is far from gratitude, specifically gratitude for my wife. And so I typically start to recount to the God that I know and love and serve the things that I'm grateful for, and invariably my wife is near the top of that list each day. I didn't want to thank God for her this night. <laughs> but I said, God, I'm grateful for Kelly for this. A thing that I could genuinely say for her honesty. And then once I said that, I was able to say, and God, I'm grateful to Kelly for that. And that one was a little easier. And then the next one, a little easier. And the self-righteousness and the resentment started to melt with each bullet of a grateful prayer. Not easy to do. But I can promise you I woke up in a very different place than when I went to sleep. A heart of ingratitude cannot stand up to genuine prayer. Just can't. To close this out, the best image that I've read in a long time when I was thinking about 
these three things, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, comes from a historical article that I read about World War II. Never seen this before in much, as much as I've read about this. These are Steinway upright pianos. And with the limited uh, materials that were available, Steinway partnered with the U.S. government and military to make these pianos, they were called vertical victories. And they would load them onto ships and put them on airplanes with parachutes and drop them with the troops in enemy territory. 500 pounds apiece, took four guys to carry it. They had a guy stationed at these places where they would land whose job in the US military was to tune the pianos as they got to their location. They were in these boxes as they were stored. 2,500 of these pianos during World War II, shipped, flown, landed, three different continents. See these pictures. That's my favorite. Praising and singing in wartime. You know as well as I do that it's a battle out there. And it will take the vertical victory of realizing that as we go to these different places, we bring the joy and the gratitude of the song of creation and redemption to wherever we go. Prayer is not just an armament against the powers of darkness. It is the music of the victory that's been secured. And so let us pray. God, may we not see prayer as an item to do or accomplish, but give us a life of prayer. Forgive us for seeing the goal as prayer itself when you want us to abide and stay in your love at all times. And so make us a people of unceasing and constant prayer that we don't need a special room that we can do all day with conscious awareness and we can do all things with a connection to you. And so God, help us to pray as we live, not seeing it as a burden, but give us the spontaneity and the structure of what it means to have prayer just to be a part of every moment of our life. Give us the resistance prayer of Daniel. And raise us up once again to be able to choose joy over despair, to choose love over fear, to choose gratitude over entitlement. Give us the vertical victory that can only come from the cross that you have secured, that we might rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks 
and each and every circumstance of our lives.